to invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And if you don't know me, uh, my name is Josh, and I get the privilege of uh, being the assistant teaching pastor here at Grace. And so we're going to be continuing in our, our series in the book of Proverbs, Live It Out. The Proverbs is a catalyst for personal discipleship is, is where we're going today. Uh, but I, I want to begin with a question. How many of you remember, this is sort of graduation day, so we're, how many of you remember your third grade teacher? Anybody? Your third grade teacher? Yeah? Uh, my third grade teacher was a lady by the name of Mrs. Carroll. And I loved Mrs. Carroll. She was kind of, she was a great teacher. She was younger. I might have had a slight um, crush on Mrs. Carroll. And, and so that led to me getting really good grades in third grade. Um, lots of smiley faces. Uh, some stickers were awarded. And because of that, uh, I was asked at one point if I wanted to join the, quote, gifted class. And I thought, well, of course, right? Who doesn't want to be gifted? And so I joined the gifted class, which met in the basement of our school. And when I joined the gifted class, I learned that we were involved in a, in a competition. And the competition was called Odyssey of the Mind. I don't know if any of you remember that. Um, but... It was a competition, and in this particular version of it involved tennis balls. And so what you were tasked with as a gifted person was to conceive of a, I suppose, creative or complex means of uh, shooting a tennis ball or bouncing a tennis ball into a target. And so there were all these targets, and each student was tasked with coming up with a creative or complex way of projecting the tennis ball. And so there were trebuchets and there were things that kind of, you know, bounced the ball with levers and all these creative and complex ways. The only rule was that you could not use your hand or your body to propel the tennis ball. You had to come up with some other inventive way. And I want to show you on the next slide the way that I came up with. All right, that's it right there. <laughs> uh, I was like, I, I think you guys are overthinking this. Um, there's, there's actually something that's designed for the very purpose. <laughs> and so subsequently, we lost the competition. I don't know, lack of creativity, something like that. Uh, and I was asked then to take a test, all right? And little did I know, this was an IQ test. I was just told, it's, it's, there's no grade, just have fun with it, be creative. I took the IQ test as a third grader and was subsequently asked to leave the gifted class. <laughs> to, to which I never returned. So I was a little self-conscious when like, words like anesthesiology were being mentioned earlier. And, and actually when I finished my doctorate a few years ago in my regalia, I thought about posing with the racket just to be like, what? You know? um, so... <laughs> I say all that to say this. Uh, the book of Proverbs is all about learning and engaging the practice of wisdom. Putting wisdom into practice. But, but here's the important thing that I want to say first. Wisdom is not synonymous with intelligence. Wisdom is not the same as intelligence. And some of us are like, whew, thank God. 
And others of us are like, uh-oh. <laughs> because the reality is, it is perfectly possible for you in sort of a biblical framework to be a brilliant fool. It is perfectly possible for someone to be incredibly intelligent, incredibly gifted, have all sorts of innate natural capabilities and gifts, and to not possess wisdom. Because wisdom is not synonymous with just knowledge or facts or information acquirement. It is not synonymous with intelligence. And so in some ways that's great news because while there is sort of a natural ceiling on intelligence as I discovered in the third grade, there is no ceiling on wisdom. You don't have to have a 4.0 to gain wisdom. You don't have to have a PhD to be wise. And so that's good news, but it's also bad news because it's not just about acquiring knowledge. And so what I want to do today is to introduce you to wisdom in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom, we could say it this way, wisdom is a woman. And some of you are like, duh. <laughs> right? We just had Mother's Day. Right? Wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, not as information or knowledge or intelligence. It is personified as a woman. Lady Wisdom is her name. And I want to introduce you to Lady Wisdom today and, and, and ask and learn from her some things about what it would mean to become, uh, to become wise. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, says this. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice at the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. In verse 15, it says this. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. In verse 22, it says this, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago. At the very beginning, when the world came to be, when there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Verse 30, it says, Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his and God's presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. This is God's word. If you get nothing else from this message, get this. In the Bible, 
wisdom is not so much a principle or set of principles that you learn or memorize. Wisdom is presented as a person that you must encounter. In the Bible, wisdom is presented not as a principle that you memorize, but as a person that you encounter. And we see that sort of preeminently in Proverbs 8 and 9, where wisdom is a woman. She's lady wisdom. And is wisdom personified as, as, as a person? And we're going to flesh out what I mean by that and, and why that's important. But one of the first sort of evidences of that that we see of Lady Wisdom as we sort of uh, look through her characteristics and what she has to teach us, one of the first things we see about Lady Wisdom is that she is presented as calling. Calling out to the travelers that are coming to this city. The, the passage is, is presented almost as if there are all these roads, very much like this, this room. There's an aisle here, and there's an aisle here, and there's a, there's a road here, and a road here, and all these roads are coming to the gate of the city, and at the gate of the city, it says that wisdom is calling. She's yelling. She's speaking loudly. She's calling out to the travelers. It says this, does not wisdom call out does not understanding raise her voice at the highest point along the way where the paths meet? She takes her stand. And in some ways, this is good news. Because in the Bible, wisdom is not presented as this thing that you have to, in your own sort of brilliance and moral striving, go out and, and sort of discover wisdom is presented as pursuing you, calling out to people, all people, rich, poor, brilliant, not so brilliant, people that got kicked out of gifted and people that were allowed to stay in gifted. Wisdom is calling out to everyone. She's calling. One of the ways you could sort of expound upon that in, in my view is to say this, that God is trying to get your spiritual attention through your practical circumstances. God is trying to get your spiritual attention through your practical circumstances. And sometimes your practical circumstances are the means by which wisdom says, hey, 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 over here, right? Look over here. And that could mean a variety of things. It could be a variety of areas in your life where wisdom calls out to you. It could be perhaps through your physical body, right? How many of you, God has ever tried to get your spiritual attention through your physical body, right? It's like something's not working right. I'm, I'm tired, I'm grumpy, right? There's something I need to change. Wisdom is calling out through even our physical wellness in some cases, through our diet, through things like that. Wisdom sometimes calls out to us through the circumstances maybe of our marriage, where it's calling out and says, hey, hey, something's not right here. And God gets our spiritual attention through our practical circumstances. Maybe wisdom is calling out to you through your, your attitude. And somebody points out, hey, why are you so grumpy? <laughs> maybe it's through your finances that wisdom is calling out to you. 
But in, in any number of ways, wisdom is God's way of calling out to us, getting our spiritual attention through our practical circumstances. Israel, in some ways, the wisdom literature is thought of as like God's gift, but also Israel's gift to the nations. Because you have like the Torah and the Jewish law, and this is like very Jewish specific, right? The Jewish sacrifices and Jewish regulations, right? And that could seem very foreign to Gentiles like us. But wisdom is something that is more universal, that goes out to all nations, tribes, tongues of the earth. And so one of the ways that this goes out to our culture, it's not even necessarily through preachers. Um, the great theologian, Dr. Phil, has a question that he'll sometimes ask people, and they'll, they'll talk about their life and what's going on, and he'll respond with a question. He'll say, how's that working for you? And oftentimes the answer is, it's not. It's not working very well. In wisdom, God is still calling out to us through our practical circumstances and trying to get, trying to get our attention. And so the question is not whether God is calling or whether wisdom is calling. The question is, am I listening? Am I listening to the voice of wisdom calling out. And what is she trying to say through my practical circumstances? I know some of you have said that the way that wisdom got your attention, the way that God got your attention, was because an area of your life became, at a certain point, unmanageable. There was a particular hurt or habit or hang up that when Dr. Phil asked his question, the answer is, it's, it's not working anymore. And God, wisdom, got your attention through those sorts of things. And maybe even brought you into relationship or a deeper relationship with Jesus through, say, recovery ministry, celebrate recovery or something like that. Wisdom calls out. She calls out to all of us through our practical, everyday circumstances. It's another thing about wisdom. She's feisty. She's feisty. And we lose a little bit of this in the NIV because it tones down a little bit of the edginess of what wisdom says. It uses words like, come to me, all you who are simple. And like, simple's good, right? Who wants, simple's good. Simple is like when a woman from Oklahoma says, bless your heart, right? Uh, it, there's a little edge to it. And so Eugene Peterson, in his message translation of the verses we just read, tries to sort of put this into the language of today. And you have to picture, here is wisdom, right? It says that she perches herself by the gate of the city at the highest point. And so this is very precarious. Someone said, my pants, sometimes they feel like my pants might catch on fire as a preacher, but it was because of dishonesty. Uh, this is for a different reason. So she's perched at the highest point, She's calling out, and here's Peterson's translation of what she says. Do you hear Lady Wisdom calling? Can you hear Madam Insight raising her voice? She's taken her stand at first and main, at the busiest intersection, right in the city square where the traffic is thickest. She shouts, you, I'm talking to all of you, everyone out here on the streets, 
Listen, you idiots. Learn, <laughs> learn good sense. You blockheads, shape up. Don't miss a word of this. I'm telling you how to live well. I'm telling you how to live at your best. She's calling. She's feisty. She's doing everything she can to get our attention. Because at the end of the day, God loves us. And sometimes it takes Lady Wisdom saying, listen, you blockhead, before God gets our attention. She's calling. She's calling even you right now. Are we listening? That's point number one. Second point, as I get down, hopefully, without falling. She's waiting. She's waiting. In the story, the sort of imagery that's used in the passage, much of the book of Proverbs is the imagery of a father teaching his son, giving his son advice, wisdom. And in this passage, there's almost like you picture that son from the book of Proverbs coming to the big city, right? And here when he gets to the big city, because all of these roads are leading to the gate of the city, when he gets to the big city, wisdom is waiting for him. She's waiting at this new stage, this new chapter in his, in his journey. And I think that's true for all of us, that she, Lady Wisdom, is waiting for us and calling for us, especially at the start of new seasons and at the entrance to new life stages. It says she's perched herself at the entrance, at the gate of the city. Sometimes the importance of wise choices is heightened, I think, as you reach new stages, new chapters in your life journey. Some of you are there. Um, this is Senior Sunday. And the importance of listening to lady wisdom say when you graduate from high school and move off to college at the University of Oklahoma or wherever else it is, Oklahoma State, right? The importance of listening to Lady Wisdom at those new stages, at the entrance to the city, at the gate, so to speak, is heightened. And that's true not just for college. It's true at the onset of a relationship, say a dating relationship, the habits that you lay forth. It's true as you move out and begin life on your own with regard to your finances and your living situation. Right? It's true in, in your marriage. I just did a marriage, a wedding ceremony last night for a, a couple that grew up in grace. And I told them, the habits that you establish at the beginning of this stage are going to echo through the decades with profounding weight. The importance of listening to Lady Wisdom at new chapters, new stages, is, is heightened. We see this elsewhere. In the Bible, this, almost this exact same scene lays out, plays out in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27, the Israelites are at the beginning of a new chapter in their life. They're on the border of the promised land. And when they reach the border of the promised land, just like in Proverbs 8, they, there's this person who's perched on a hilltop, the hill of Gerizim, and he's laying forth wisdom. He says, if you do this, if you obey, if you live and obey God with wisdom, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be blessed. And he uses the exact same word that is used in Proverbs 8. 
And there's another person perched on the hill of Ebal and says, if you don't listen, if you don't hear, if you don't heed, if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be cursed and you're going to struggle and you'll ultimately end up in exile. But that choice, the importance of it is heightened on the border of this new land, just as it is at the gate of the city in Proverbs 8 and 9. I've been to Africa three times, and you sometimes think that the potholes are bad in Oklahoma, (laughs) But, but you haven't seen anything until you've driven in Africa. This is a picture, I don't know if this is in Africa or not, but it's a picture of a road with deep ruts. And we traveled through some very deep ruts in Zambia when I was there. But there's a story of a sign. You've probably heard me say this before at the, at the beginning of this road with deep ruts. And the sign simply says this, choose your rut carefully. You will be in it for the next 60 miles. And it's true of roads, but it's also true of life. As you go off to college, Choose your rut carefully, right? As you begin, whatever new thing that God is doing, choose wisely because wisdom is waiting in an especially profound sense at the new chapters, at the new stages in in our journey. That's the good news. Number one, she's calling. Number two, She's waiting. Both of those are good news. Now the bad news. She's got competition. Lady Wisdom has competition. And the the name that is given to her competition, fittingly, is Lady Folly. Lady Folly, you could say, is the kind of inverse, the kind of uh, imitation, the kind of diabolical doppelganger of Lady Wisdom. And it says it like this in Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. It says this, Lady Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. She says, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. What's amazing to me is the extent to which Lady Folly mimics or mirrors Lady Wisdom. So just as Lady Wisdom is perched at the highest point by the gate, Lady Folly is perched at this high point. It says the highest point of the city, and she too is calling out to all of the travelers, come, come to me. And she says, stolen water. You almost need like a special voice for Lady Folly. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is delicious, right? And you're like, what, 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 what? 
Uh, and I, I preached this once to a bunch of like uh, youth group students and I had Lady Wisdom. I had like a very wise woman play the part of Lady Wisdom, like maybe Cindy McIlvain or something. She stood over here. And then I had Shane Gray, who if you don't know Shane, he works here at the church. He's kind of a big burly guy. He played the part of Lady Folly. He had like a wig. Because I figure what better imitation, right, of Lady Wisdom than, than like an imitation lady. I'm sure there's something in Leviticus that prohibits that, but we did it anyway. Um, <laughs> And so instead of doing that, I, instead of doing that and risking the wrath of Leviticus, um, I thought, what would be a good exemplar of, of an imitation lady wisdom? And I saw I found a famous imitation. This is uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, but I thought that, that really doesn't capture like the malevolence or in any way the sort of licentiousness of lady folly. And so here's another example. This is the white witch from the Chronicles of Narnia and how she sort of seduces Edmund, just like in the passage, with this sweet-tasting thing that actually ends up being destructive. She presents herself as a queen, but she's really a bruja, a witch. And she's imitating, in some ways, the voice of wisdom. And that's exactly how it is in the passage. It's exactly how it is in our lives. Lady folly comes in many different forms. Not always as a lady. Um, she comes in the form of this sort of hedonism that says, just, hey, do what feels good in the moment, right? You only live once and pursuing sort of instant Gratification. Lady Folly comes in the guise of instant gratification. She comes in the guise of cynicism. It says, hey man, the world is messed up. Everybody is hypocritical and corrupt. What are you going to do? Just smirk and move on. She presents herself in, in cynicism. She presents herself in, in, in all manner of ways. She presents herself in the form of what the book of Proverbs calls sloth. Not the animal, but the attitude and the activity. What Proverbs calls, well, I'll preach on this later, what Proverbs calls the sluggard. The sluggard. Lady Folly comes in the form of the sluggard and says, just hit the snooze button one more time. But what the passage says is though she's alluring, her guess are buried in the backyard. It literally says that she is a kind of black widow who entices the son only to destroy him at the end of the day. She is the competition for Lady Wisdom and she is calling out in some ways in a voice that's even louder than that of Lady Wisdom. One of the things along these lines that I've probably talked about before, Andy Stanley presents something that he calls the principle of the path. This is a passage about a path. It's a path that leads to a gate. It's a path that leads to the backyard of Lady Folly. But what Stanley says about the principle of the path is that for all of us, direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention determines destination. 
What he means is every direction has at the end of that road a destination. And it may be good or it may be bad, but the reality is where you are pointing determines where you will go. But so many of us, myself included, we buy into the voice of Lady Folly and we say, I want to end up over there. I want, a, I want a, a, a great marriage, a great career. I want all this stuff. We have a great intention. The problem is we have a terrible direction. And so we proceed in this direction and then we are surprised when we don't end up over there. Um, to put it bluntly, we end up in the backyard of Lady Folly's house because direction not intention, determines destination. Lady folly is the competition. And so maybe the question would be simply, how is folly, how is lady folly calling out to you? In what ways have you listened to her voice rather than that of lady wisdom? If you ever want to insult a preacher, which, you know, keep this in mind, Come up afterwards and say, I sure wish so-and-so was here to hear that, right? I'm thinking, they weren't. You were. I was talking to you. How is Lady Folly calling to you? How, how have you bought into the lie that stole, it's so stupid, right? Stole, she says, stolen water is sweet. Like, no, it's not. It's not sweet, it's just water. It doesn't taste like anything, right? It tastes better because you stole it. Who needs to steal it anyway, right? She says, bread eaten in secret is delicious. It's like, well, no, it tastes the same, right? You eat it in the room with the light turned off, it's bread. If it's moldy bread, it's moldy bread, right? It, it adds this false veneer of pleasure to something that is ultimately painful and destructive. It's, it's a lie, it's a myth, it's a hoax, and all of us in various ways buy into it at one point or another. Last point, back to the good news. Wisdom, despite appearances and despite the claims of Lady Folly, wisdom throws the better party. I heard a preacher say once that he's convinced that Christians will have very little to say to the world until we can learn to throw better parties. Wisdom throws the better party. It says this in verse 1 of chapter 9. Wisdom, though, has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. It's a nice house. Got some, got some pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine she has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sin, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. She said, I have this beautiful house. I have this beautiful Delicious banquet, meat and wine. And I don't care if you're rich, poor, brilliant, not so brilliant, got kicked out of gifted class. I don't care who you are. Come and enjoy this banquet. And if you contrast the banquet of Lady Wisdom in chapter 9 
with the banquet of Lady Folly in chapter 9, meat and wine is better than bread and water. Lady Folly might sound sweet, might sound alluring, but she's offering moldy bread and water. And Lady Wisdom says, I've got wine. I've got a filet. Come on. The party is better at my house. I had somebody after first service, very kind, had baked my wife and I some bread and sort of sheepishly presented it after this message. Like, <laughs> sort of a pick, pick the wrong week to try to do you a favor. Um, but it wasn't moldy. It looked really, it looked really nice. Um, the principle, the idea is that despite appearances, the way of wisdom is actually better. It actually leads to fullness of joy, not a sort of inferior existence. That is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not grit your teeth, have a miserable life, move away from anything that's enjoyable, and then someday at the end of the day, you'll go to heaven when you die. That's not the gospel. That makes the earth seem like a waiting room. Right? The gospel is in Wisdom in God is fullness of joy. Maybe not an easy life. Maybe not a life that seems appealing maybe to some of your friends initially, but in God is fullness of joy. The problem with much of so-called Christian wisdom or moralism is that it fails to recognize who actually throws the better party. Wisdom throws the better party because wisdom is offering a better life. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Wisdom throws the better party. One of the things we see in closing is that this tendency, the one big idea that I started with, that in the Bible, wisdom is presented not just as a principle you memorize, but as a person. That continues in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, wisdom is personified not as this feisty woman. In the New Testament, wisdom is personified as a poor Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And he too calls out in some of the very same ways as Lady Wisdom, in his most famous message, he goes up on the highest point, a hill, and he gives his sermon on the mount. And he calls out to everybody, not just the rich, not just the poor, not just the brilliant, not just the not so brilliant. He uses the same word that's used in Proverbs chapter 8. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is actually the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. And he offers us to a, a different kind of life, a different kind of party. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says it explicitly. He says, I know it's strange that I preach Christ crucified because it seems like foolishness, right? It's a stumbling block to Jews and it seems like foolishness to Gentiles. But then he says this, but Christ is the wisdom 
and the power of God. If you want to encounter wisdom, encounter Jesus Christ. It's not just a principle that you can memorize for a test. It's a person who is calling out for you, who is waiting for you, who is offering you something better than the competition, a better party. So how is wisdom calling out to you today? How is folly called out to you? And, and what would it look like to listen to the voice of wisdom? As the worship team comes, we're going to pray. And we're going to sing as we continue to sort of meditate on those words. Let's pray. God, I thank you that just like Paul says to the Corinthians, not many of us were wise by worldly standards when you called us. I thank you that you do not just call the brilliant, the beautiful, the gifted. You call everyone. And that just like in the passage, you are calling out to us and offering us a better way to live. I pray as we sing, Lord, that we will recognize some ways that we've bought into the lies of the competition, that we've followed Lady Folly, and that we are heading perhaps to a destination that is not desirable. I thank you more than anything else that wisdom, that Jesus throws the better party, that in him is fullness of joy, in him is life abundant, and that any one of us, no matter where we are, can turn and be made new. I thank you that you're in the business of making all things new, regardless of where they sit right now. I pray that we would heed the voice of wisdom, not as a principle or a rule, but as a person who loved us so much that he shed his blood for us while we were yet sinners. So we worship not a set of rules, but we worship wisdom incarnate in the form of Jesus Christ. We give thanks to him today. It's in the name of Jesus who is the wisdom and the power of God that we say. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship?